We don't want to bring all that the culture is into the church. We, we want to focus on Jesus, but we also don't want to, uh, you know, put our fingers in our ears and our eyes, or our hands over our eyes. We realize that our nation is in turmoil and division and just, just you know, you know, you've seen it. Um, and so I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to pray for God's um, hand of provision. We find that slide? I'm just confusing you. It's in the last. It's in one of the last verses of that last song. Keep going. Keep going. No. Keep going. There we go. And spirit lit the flame. One more. Yeah. Now. Yep. One more. Now, this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not faint. Listen, we had an election. I don't know what the status is, but here's what I know. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. And his gospel, his church, shall not kneel, shall not faint, come what may. Come what may. And that doesn't mean that we get to lay down and just take it like we will stand where we need to stand. We will fight where we need to fight, period, no matter who's elected in this election or the next. Come what may, the gospel in Jesus' church shall not kneel and shall not faint. Amen? So let's pray. Let's ask. And because that's biblical, because the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders, and so let's pray for our country. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to look to Scripture for a hope that, that cannot be knocked out of office, for a hope that cannot be uh, up for election because Jesus is on the throne. I mean, we're going to look at a quote later. Leslie, Leslie Newbegin, a uh, British writer, pastor, missionary, said that I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus rose from the grave. He said, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus rose from the grave. Amen, and he sits on the throne. Let's look to him. God, we ask for your provision over our country. We ask that you would be with uh, the leaders that are um, already elected, and, and as the process finishes out, we ask that you would be with our hearts, Lord, as we um, try to process that rightly with the, with the correct amount of, of uh, weight and balance that matters immensely to us and to our neighbors, but that we would not lose sight that you were on the throne and that we would look to you. And so we, we lift them up to you, Lord. We, we lift Joe Biden and Kamala Harris up to you. We lift Donald Trump and, and, and Mike Pence up to you, and we ask that you would be with them, Lord, that you would uh, give them um, wisdom, that you would give them um, humility, that you would allow them to have um, the spirit of, of, of humility and grace, and um, that they would be firm where they need to be firm, but they would ultimately, um, Lord, do what is right for you, that, that our country would, would have some sense of healing going forward. Lord, we ask that for your sake, for your gospel, for your glory. But for the, uh, regardless of how that goes, Lord, may your church, may we be encouraged and, and brought firmly upon the hope of the goodness of the gospel, that you indeed rose from the dead and that you sit on the throne, period. You will, you have, you will, and you, you will never leave. So thank you for that hope. May our hearts be rooted and grounded in it today. Lord, thank you for this great country, for the veterans that have served uh, to allow us this and many other freedoms that we take for granted too often. Today we, we say thank you for creating such men and women of honor and courage and for their willingness to serve. 
May they be encouraged today. May they be drawn near to you today. Um, may a grateful country not be lost on them uh, in the midst of, of division and hate and chaos. Lord, thank you for the gospel hope and focus us deeply on it now. May we move, may we, we pray rightly for our, our leaders and our country, but may we move now swiftly and, and with full focus to the goodness of the gospel, to, to your word. And we ask that and hope that in Jesus' name. Amen. Anthony, will you check the air? I'm hot. I don't know if anybody else is, but I'm warm. I don't think it's probably on heat. It probably needs to be switched over. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have not, we're going to be there uh, in verses. Uh, really, we'll probably start in three, but uh, Micah covered one through four a couple weeks ago. But we're going to start in three and go through 11 in just a moment. And, and so... Um, as you know, we've been moving through uh, this, this book uh, and titled Church Issues as he's going after issue after issue after issue. And he comes to this place as he's wrapping up the book, as he's covered all sorts of very practical issues of what about this, what about this, what about this? Everything from sexual immorality to suing one another to how do you, you know, take a communion without, you know, abusing communion and getting drunk and, and uh, spiritual gifts. And all of these things have, have come uh, before Paul, and he has addressed them in this book, and he moves to close, and, and he says, okay, now, brothers, I would remind you of that which is of first importance, and he goes into the goodness of the gospel. He reminds them of this very truth, and so um, Michael looked at that a couple weeks ago, and I would encourage you, if you missed that sermon, to, to look it up online, but we're going to read today, um, verse. we're going to start in verse 3 and read down to verse 11, so if you would open there with me and read along from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's just quickly look to the Lord, ask him to help bring light to his scripture. Father, um, we, we, we want to pray as often as we can in your, in your midst and in your service because we want to hear from you. So we ask that now as we open up your scriptures uh, that you would bring this, uh, these truths to life, that you would speak deeply to us, that you would give us hearts and ears to hear. Lord, use me to your glory. May your word be um, authoritative. We submit to it, and we ask to be blessed by it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, many of you are like me, and you were brought up in church, and, um, or at least around church, maybe not even in church, but just as a result of kind of being in, a, in an area like ours, which is very Bible Belt in its culture, and you were taught, right, in one form or another, maybe directly, maybe indirectly, but you were taught that Jesus died on the cross, and that three days later, he rose again. 
right? That that was just something that was communicated to you, whether that was, you know, by going to church on Easter and that was the extent of it, or it's just understood um, by the people around you. It was just sort of a common knowledge acceptance, and, and, and there wasn't a whole lot of uh, explanation or critical thinking or study behind it. It was oftentimes just delivered as something that we should accept and, and embrace. And, and I am not saying that that is wrong. We should absolutely accept and embrace that and praise God for, for people that were raised around church, that were raised around the gospel, and it was never uh, you know, it was never in doubt. We don't, you know, I've, people kind of get worried about the testimony and, and some people think that only the, the really powerful testimonies of people who were saved from just pure debauchery and drugs and alcohol and, you know, rampant um, adultery and things like that and then God radically saved them as an adult, that, that they have a powerful testimony. I've heard so many people diminish their testimony because they grew up in church, that they don't remember a time whenever they didn't love Jesus. And I'm like, no, no, don't diminish that. Like, that's the testimony I want my kids to have, Right? Like, I don't want my kids to, to follow this other path and have this testimony of saved out a radical lifestyle. Like we, and so I don't want to diminish that in any way. But at the same time, when, it, when we do grow up in an area where it is such a, a common thing and we're taught about Jesus, and, and oftentimes we're kind of taught about Jesus in the same way that we're taught about other things like Santa Claus, perhaps, or or even the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy and things like that. And then gradually, or maybe all at once, our worlds you know, come crashing down when we realize those aren't true. Spoiler alert, hopefully the, there's no uh, kids in here that are still believing. If so, you're welcome um, for that conversation later, parents. But, but as you realize that those things aren't true, right, and you adjust to that reality, but at the same time, you're expected to continue to cling to and accept the story of Jesus, the story of this man who was born of a virgin in a manger, right, that lived a perfect life without any sin, and then when he was in his 30s, died on a cross, and three days later came back to life. And, and oftentimes, we, we, we don't, it's, it's taught to us in, the, in a similar sense, and, and, and we're just expected to kind of accept it, and we don't think critically about it until many of you know the, the statistics. You go off to college, and you're exposed to some higher-level criticism of, of the Scriptures and of the faith, and, and it rocks a lot of our—a um, lot of you have stories like that, and, and, and perhaps— um, you know, you know people with stories like that where it sort of rocks our, our belief a bit. It, it rattles us because we've never thought super critically about that. And too often the church doesn't, we've had an apologetics class going on here for the last few weeks. And one of the reasons we want to continue to do those, that sort of thing is because too often as, as church people, we're, we're, we were and, and sometimes can still be encouraged not to think too deeply, just to accept things by faith. Now hang with me till the end because where we're going I, I, is not that we should, you know, expect this abundance of evidence and, and, you know, rationale that leads us to believe in Jesus. We know that, that we're saved by grace through faith, period. Okay, so we're going to get back to that. But there is more evidence, there is more historical evidence than, often, than a lot of us have been exposed to. And this passage is one of the things that, that actually speaks to that pretty incredibly so. And so we're going to look at it together and, and, uh, and it, it will be encouragement to those of us that, you know, firmly believe in Jesus, it'll be encouragement to our, to our faith. And for those that, that perhaps don't yet believe, I think this can provide some credibility as you um, research and, and, and explore the claims of Jesus. Was he who he said he was? And so uh, this passage is Paul pointing back to the historical, actual, physical reality that Jesus was resurrected. 
And I want you to imagine him writing this to an actual group of people, knowing that people are going to read this and question it. He's not just saying it online. He's not just making a baseless claim because he wants to. He's writing this to a group of people that he knows looked to him as an authority figure and as an actual church. He's writing this to them. And, and I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the, 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 the amount of faith and, and um, you know, credibility that he's placing on this because he is... is is not about to let the church, the people under his influence, think that this whole following Jesus thing is just a new religion and way of life and self-help. He's, he's adamant that they will not slip into that, that they will not slip into this mode of just, you know, improving my life through some life principles that we can, you know, derive from the Bible. That's why he, he started there uh, adamantly defending the, the gospel as the only thing that he put forth when he was there teaching, that he never came in this wisdom and eloquence of speech, but only preaching Christ and him crucified. The first four chapters was really a, a defense of that. And then as he, uh, you know, covers all these issues, and don't get me wrong, to obey chapters, you know, one through 14 in 1 Corinthians will be helpful to your life, okay? Like if, if, the, if that's what you do, you should go, hey, I'm gonna live by this. It will go well for you. It will go better for you. Don't get me wrong, but, but Paul never wants us to think that that is the sum of it. It's just to take these nuggets and pieces of, of wisdom and apply them to our life. No, no, he comes, he weaves the gospel in and through. He bases it all and he comes back here very clearly and very emphatically to remind us that, that without this, none of the rest of this matters. That was Micah's uh, point from a couple weeks ago. Next week, we're going to look at the significance of the resurrection. What difference does it make for our lives? But before we go there, we want to ask the question, can we believe it? Can we trust of it? What evidence is there that the resurrection actually happened? Because as Paul writes this, you need to know that these people are no more predispositioned to believe in a bodily resurrection than you and I were. Right, that they, they, they had their own resistance to it. It was based in a different form of Greek thought and Jewish thought even, but they were not predisposed to believe in the resurrection. None of the people were, even as the people are going to the grave, as you read the gospel accounts, even though Jesus had told them that he would come back on the third day, none of them were expecting him to actually physically rise from the dead. Okay, and in the days before Jesus, during Jesus, and even after Jesus, there, you know, there was uh, no shortage of Messiah-like figures that would arise in the culture and would gain a following, right? There was, there was other people. Jesus wasn't the only one who, who came proclaiming freedom and a new kingdom um, and you know, freedom from an oppressive Roman government and, and whatever. Like That happened somewhat regularly. So Jesus wasn't the only one that had done that. However, in almost every other case of this messianic movement, their leader was, was killed and oftentimes executed publicly, much like Jesus. And after the leader's death, each of these movements invariably collapsed. Don't you realize that? That these people had heard of Messiah figures before. They had seen them pop up, gain a following. Oh, this is a new thing. And this person claims to be the one that's going to deliver them from Rome or deliver them from this. And that person would end up being killed by, you know, usually the government or others. And, and then the, the movements would sort of dissipate as people went home. Uh, indeed, that leader was not who he said he was. And so of all the dozens of movements, only one didn't collapse after the leader's death. And not only did it not collapse, it exploded. 
it exploded. Church, you need to know this about our faith. In the course of about 300 years, Christianity had spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. This is an incredible, incredible piece of evidence that can be traced through history, that this is undeniable. No, one, no credible scholar denies the existence of a, a man, of Jesus of Nazareth. No, they don't deny his death and his even burial is, is very verifiable. The, the way that the Gospels record the, ver, the, the burial in Joseph's tomb and the amount of people that, that saw him and that were involved in that, all of this is incredibly verifiable and is not even disputed that the tomb was empty, that Jesus died and the tomb was empty. And the, the, really the dispute comes along, okay, did he really rise from the grave or was it this body stolen or maybe he just swooned or whatever. And all of those are easy, pretty easily di disproved as well. Like the Roman executioners, like they were good at their job. They didn't accidentally let somebody get taken down off the cross while still alive. There's, there's verifiable evidence that, that, you know, Pilate has them go back and verify that Jesus is dead before he gives the body up. And so he was indeed dead. It wasn't a swoon and his body wasn't stolen. There's, there's, there's no logical way that, that the, the rest of the story makes sense if Jesus's body was, was stolen. Uh, there's so many details that are laying on and, and I don't have time to, to unpack all of those today. I want to simply look at what's in the text, but I want to encourage you, if this interests you, if you have these questions that have never been answered, you've never dove in, or you just love this sort of thing, I've put a couple of resources on your app. If you don't have our app yet, you can download that by texting Journey SI to 77977. And on our app, we have a section called Digital Bulletin. And each week, we put the, the scriptures that is there, the scripture we're going to be walking through, and, and usually a few resources for you to dig deeper into. And a couple of, one of those resources is the book, The Case for Christ. Many of you have heard of Lee Strobel, and, and it's, a, it's a really well done um, book that, that chronicles his own journey to disprove Christianity that led him to actually become, go from an atheist to becoming a Christian. And there's other books like that. Um, and, and I would encourage you to dig in. And, and if you want to start with something smaller, there's an article on there. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is a, a much smaller place for you to start, but I would encourage you there as well. And the, at the end of that article, there are more um, deeper resources if this is something you really want to dive into. But the point is, there is an incredible amount of historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And we need to be encouraged by this and our strength emboldened by this. And we need to think critically about this so that we are not tossed to and fro by every wave that comes around, that we have a firm foundation. We need to be able to teach our children and our grandchildren how to think critically about this so that when we are exposed to higher levels of criticism, we're not rocked to the core because we've been there and thought about that. And so today in this passage, I want to draw out some of the very practical uh, nature, the very practical proofs that are in this passage. As Paul writes this, um, just around 20 or so years after Jesus leaves in ascension, uh, Paul writes this to a, a group of actual people, and he says, not only did Jesus rise from the grave, but he says, you can go and talk to people who've seen him. Okay, so he points to, he mentions five appearances of the risen Christ. If you look in Acts 1, 3, and 4, it says that Jesus, after he was raised from the, from the dead, uh, was with them on the earth for around 40 days. That's just shy of six weeks. Jesus hung out and was constantly appearing to different groups of people. And that's important because one of the, you know, one of the criticisms that, that people say was, well, these appearances that, G, that people saw the risen Jesus, they were just hallucinating. Well, 
maybe if that's one or two here and there, maybe if that's just his close followers, but to, to appear to multiple groups of people repeatedly, larger groups of people, that, that nobody can justify a group hallucination of the same thing to be validated over and over again. And so, so these sort of details matter immensely. And so he includes uh, five appearances. Of, of, he mentions five appearances in the risen, of the risen Christ here in this passage, including 500 people at one time. Um, in the Gospels, as you read the, the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's seven appearances that are recounted in detail in the four Gospels. Um, and so when you look at that evidence, when you think about, okay, there's this many people that Paul is boldly, unapologetically saying, hey, you want to verify this? Just go talk to him. Like there's people that live in and around Jerusalem that saw Jesus both die on the cross and be buried and the resurrected Jesus on the other side of that, and Paul says, hey, go, go talk to him. He's not just saying, hey, there's, we have some witnesses. We, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a source we can't mention, or, you know, but, they're, but they're really there. No, he says, no, there's like 500 people. Go talk to him. And he says, you know what? Most of them are still alive. A few have fallen asleep. So that's, a, that's even Paul, you just see his transparency saying, yeah, it's been a few years. Some of them died, but most of them are still there, and you can go and speak to them. This brings such credibility. You look at a book like um, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, which, which Luke wrote that as well, and you hear, we preached through that a couple years ago, and one of the things you see is that, that Luke takes it upon himself as a physician, as a, as a scholarly man, to go and put together an orderly account of what happened, and that means he's going and speaking to these eyewitnesses, speaking to these people and saying, what did you see? Is this true? Did this really happen? Did you see him? Did you, Thomas, did you really touch his hand? Did you really put your, your hand in, in the holes in his side? Did you really do all of that? And, and so you you, you get to, to see that the, the Bible's unapologetically realistic and specific in a way that, that his, the history really can't deny. And, and so there's incredible um, evidence and good news that should be encouraging to us because when we look at that cumulative um, reality that Jesus appeared to this many people and then that the movement continued, right, that it didn't just like survive or, or you know, that it exploded, man, that, that is such an incredible testimony, because if this was a hoax, however you want to frame it as a hoax, right? Whether maybe Jesus didn't really die, he wasn't really the son of God, he did, you know, maybe he, so he wasn't dead and he just pulled a trick, or maybe the body was stolen, they just hid it and then told these stories. If, all of, if that was true in any way, then it would have had to lasted for years. It would have had to lasted for years. And each of the conspirators, think about the amount of people that would have to be involved to make sure that the story stayed straight, to make sure that there wasn't confusion, to make sure that, that, you know, that this kept going. And it wasn't just something that was like, oh yeah, I'll agree to that, you know, with no cost. This ended up leading to most of their deaths, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But, but before we do, maybe you've heard this before, but there's a man named Charles or Chuck Colson who was um, the, the fix-it man, the attorney for Richard Nixon. And you, if you don't know any of that, you've probably heard of the Watergate scandal. And so this guy was on the inside. It was, it was a crucial part of this and, and, uh, and went to jail as a result and was saved in that process to the point that he pled guilty repeatedly against his uh, attorney's advice because he believed that the gospel led him to be a man that owned his sin. And he says this, he says, so this, this is a guy who's, you know, embroiled in one of the biggest scandals in our country's history. And he says this, he says, I know that the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified 
that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. That's a conservative number. That's at least the disciples. As Paul says, there's more. But 12 men at least testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Here's what he says. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep it alive for three weeks. He says, you're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Now, that's just, a, that's just an anecdotal story, right? There, that's, that's one man looking at this and going, hey, from my own experience, people don't hold this, this sort of thing. If, it's, if it was a lie, you know, they're not going to give their life for it. They're not going to, without fail, that many of them keep this story going for 12 years unapologetically in the face of being beaten, stoned, in prison, and eventually killed. He just says it simply wouldn't happen. So, church, we need to, to, to lean in. We need to be encouraged by the historicity, the, the actual factual events of Jesus coming back from the grave. And I want you to, I want, I want you to just, we're going to look at the, 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 the testimony here of Paul, the practicalness of him saying, hey, there's all of these people you can go talk to. And then I want to look at the other piece of evidence that I want to look at today, and there's plenty more, is, is the changed lives of these men. So let's go back to the scriptures. And it says that he was raised in accordance with the scriptures on the third day, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, also called Cephas, and then to the 12. Okay, so he's saying this is what happened, right? Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and then raised on the third day, and then he appeared to multiple people. This was, a, this was actually a creed that had already developed in the early church for people to sort of uh, succinctly say the gospel to one another, that Jesus died, that Jesus um, was buried, and then he was raised, and then he appeared. Like that this was a common way that they, they anchored their faith in this. And so Paul quotes this, but then he's going to give even more evidence as he says, hey, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Okay, so to, to an actual church like, your, like ourselves, Paul is saying, hey, these people are still alive. You can go talk to them, go ask them questions if you want. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely board, he appeared to me. And we're going to get to Paul's story here in just a minute. But I want you to, to hear what he's saying. I want you to hear the evidence that he's pointing to here. He's talking about Peter. Peter, the guy who cowardly abandoned Jesus when he was arrested. I don't know if you remember that. After telling Jesus he'd, he'd go to the death with him, that he would never abandon him, Jesus gets arrested and Peter runs the other way. And then whenever he's confronted with Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? He, he denies it three times. So this is cowardly Peter that Jesus appears to, and then we're going to look at his life on the other side of that. But I want you to, to, to see an even more important eyewitness. One of the people's names that, that Paul makes a specific note to mention is in verse 7. Then he appeared to James. Now, who is James? If you don't know, James is, is not just somebody. James is Jesus' half-brother. By half-brother, I mean, you know, Jesus was born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit was the one who, uh, you know, made his mom pregnant. But then, you know, Mary and Joseph continued to have other kids. And, 
And a couple of them mentioned in the Bible, James and Jude, and James is specifically mentioned here. And if you, if you don't know the story, James was not a part of the 12 disciples. He was not on Jesus's bandwagon. He didn't travel around when Jesus was doing all the ministry in Galilee and healing people. In fact, it says, I think it's in John 7, Miranda, I don't know, I got those slides all scattered for you, but um, for even his brothers, for not even his brothers, rather, believed in him. And, and then we see in the next slide, not only did they not believe in him, there was a few times in Mark 3.21, as encountered in a couple of the Gospels, where they, not only did they not believe in him, but they went to get him because he was embarrassing them. It's like they, they go to get him and they're like, hey, 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 you're, you're saying crazy talk, Jesus. Like, you need to come home, take, you know, take a break. You've been on the road too long. Nobody believes you're God. Stop this nonsense. So they go to get him. They're even offended by him in another uh, passage. And so this is, this is, you know, James, who grew up with Jesus, is not on the bandwagon. He's not a believer. This is Peter, who was not the most bold of the disciples. In fact, well, even though he's the most bold, he, he did not withstand in the, in the, in the fire of Jesus' arrest and his, his accusations. Peter was a coward and ran away. And, and it's these two men that are specifically mentioned here, and there's others to be considered as well. But, but these two men specifically, Paul points here saying, listen, there's something that happened to these men. If we look at the other side of their life, we know that Peter was transformed from that cowardly man who ran, who, who wouldn't claim Jesus' name, even to a teenage girl, that that man is transformed into a man of boldness who proclaimed in the face of government oppression, in the face of um, the crowds hating him, and in the face of even death on a cross like Jesus, except upside down, that he kept the faith, that he became a part of the, the movement of uh, of the church in such a way that, that, that he is looked to often in, in the early church, in the book of Acts, he's got uh, two books in the New Testament, first and second Peter that he wrote. He is transformed out of that cowardly state and into a state of firm faith, declaring the, the good news of Jesus risen from the grave for the rest of his life until it cost him his life. There's a transformation that happens there amongst Peter and the other disciples that is undeniable. And then more than that, he says, you don't believe that? Look at Jesus' own brother. This guy grew up in the house with him. I want you to think about what would it take for you to believe that your brother or your sister is the son of, or the daughter of God, that, he's, that they're the Messiah? What would it take for you to, to worship them, to bow down and worship them, and, and, and then even give your life for the claim that they are God? What would that take for you? You were the one that grew up with them. You know the stories. You've seen them at, in, their, in their worst. And, and James is transformed from a guy who didn't believe, was embarrassed, and went to get Jesus into an early church father. Um, I think in Acts, we see that um, there, there's a verse where <clears throat> all of these, so in Acts, whenever they're all waiting on the, the Holy Spirit to come, it says that all these were with one accord, or devoting themselves to prayer. So all the disciples, Jesus told them to wait there. And together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, and we see in, in, um, in Galatians where Paul references James as one of the brothers that, that he goes to. After Paul gets saved, he goes uh, you know, to Jerusalem to sort of be verified by the church fathers. And James is one of the ones that he saw. So he, he specifically mentions him in Galatians 1. He says, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. 
He's mentioned in the book of Acts as sort of leading in the church um, in, in, in a powerful way in the sense that he becomes sort of a go-to guy whenever he's they're disputing, okay, are these Gentiles, are, is that a part of the movement of God? Or, you know, do they need to be circumcised? Do they not to be circumcised? He's one that they, they look to regularly for sort of the ruling voice of wisdom. And so he's transformed from a guy who doesn't believe. He's embarrassed of his brother. He's going to get him, pulling him off the stage to the point that he's an church, early church father who ends up giving his life as well for the claim that his brother Jesus was indeed risen from the grave. So Paul says, these are truths that you need to wrestle with. You need to know these stories. You need to think about them, verify them, and go ask questions if you need to. And then he says, last of all, as to one untimely born, meaning it didn't make sense that Paul would be brought into this role. He says, he appeared to me also. Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. So this is, listen, you, you might think, and, and if you don't know the story of the disciples, they weren't the cream of the crop. They weren't the religious, uh, you know, varsity team that had been raised up that Jesus picked. He picked, he picked uh, fishermen. He picked tax collectors, people who were uneducated, and he brought them onto the team. But Paul's saying, even more than that, I didn't belong there because I had persecuted the church. I persecuted the church, and he, and he came to me and revealed himself to me. If you don't know the story, in Acts 7 through 9, you sort of see that, well, it starts in 7 with Paul being a persecutor of the church, and then Acts 9, he's on his way to persecute the church even further. His name's Saul at this point, and Jesus shows up and reveals himself to him in uh, a powerful light and speaks to him, calls him out for his persecution, and changes his life forever, and he becomes an apostle who gives the rest of his life not to just some comfortable ministry job, you know, making a good salary, but no, no, he gives the rest of his life to being on the road, to slinging the gospel anywhere that God called him to sling it. And, and man, he went through shipwreck and arrest and prison and stoning and beaten and betrayal. And the rest of his life was full of suffering for the cause of Christ. And never once did he recant, never once did he stop preaching Christ, him crucified and him resurrected because his life had been radically changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Here's the truth, church. There is indeed evidence that is fun to research and it is edifying to our faith and you should dig in there. It's good for your soul. You should study that. You should know those answers. But the bottom line is, even if we had seen the resurrected Jesus, even if we laid our own eyes on him, that is not enough to cause us to be believers. That is not enough to transform our hearts. It requires the grace of God. Ephesians 2 says it is by, by grace through faith that we have been saved, no matter what we see. So some of us can get so inclined to say, well, if I was there, or if I could just see this miracle, or if I could have been like Thomas and laid my hand in there, and we sort of start to, to go there, well, if this, or well, if that. But the reality is, John flat out says this in chapter 20, 29. He says, well, Jesus says this to Thomas after the famous story of Thomas doubting and saying, hey, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it, unless I place my, my hand and my finger in the holes in his hand. I'm not going to believe it. Well, Jesus allows him that grace, which is a beautiful story that we'll look at another time. But after that, Jesus says this to him. He says, have you believed because you've seen me? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. First Peter, Peter's going to say something similar. He's going to say, listen, you haven't seen him, and yet you love him. 
It says in, in verse 8, 1 Peter 1, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy, out, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. These are the men that, that did see him, that did lay eyes on him, that did eat meals with him, that, that touched his broken and resurrected his, his body that had been broken and was resurrected and still bore the scars. These are men that are saying, listen, yes, we have that experience to look back to, but it would, it's even more blessed that you haven't seen him, you don't know him, and yet you believe in him, and yet you love him. Well, how does that happen? Well, you know what? The same way that it happens for Doubting Thomas and for Peter, it, it, it's the Spirit of God revealing himself in such a way that we are transformed that the resurrection of Jesus validates the work that God has been doing throughout all of Scripture, and it says that this is not the end. This world will not be our, like this world in its current state and its brokenness will not be our, our ultimate eternal home, that the, the, indeed what God has been moving toward is indeed still happening, and the resurrection of Jesus validates that, and he sends his spirit to reveal himself to us. And much like Paul in Acts chapter nine, it says that something like scales fell from his eyes and he was baptized in that moment and forever changed. So there is indeed evidence for you to look at and be encouraged by. But more than that, the invitation is for you to look to Jesus and to ask yourself, is he who he said he was? Because if, if he's not, as we're going to see next week, then we're to be pitied. Nothing else matters, and we should eat, drink, and be merry. But if he is, then the rest of this is to be embraced wholesale, to be changed in our life forever. And so today, if you're not a believer, my encouragement to you is to examine the evidence, look at the Word of God. But more than that, my prayer is that the Spirit would be here, presently, revealing himself, much like he did to Paul on the road to Damascus, where Jesus would come and confront you in your sin, snap you out of your delusionary state, thinking that you're okay, or that you don't need him, or that you'll have more time. My prayer is that, that the Spirit, it doesn't matter what I've said, but that, if, that the Spirit would come and fall in your hearts, and in this place, in such a way that he reveals himself, that you have to make a decision of what you're going to do with the resurrected Jesus. That if he doesn't do that in your heart, if he doesn't do that presently in your soul, it doesn't matter if you've seen him or if you haven't. If the Spirit doesn't come and awaken your senses and, and reveal your need of a Savior because of your sin and the fact that Jesus is resurrected from the grave to be your Savior, then you won't be a believer. But to say that you are a believer, to say that you are, are one who is a follower of Jesus, but your life has never been changed, you don't have a, a story about how your life has changed and how everything from, from that point on was different, then, then I need to ask you, did you really meet Jesus? I used this example in the membership class last week. There's, there's plenty of people in our area that say they're Christians. They would check that box. They would say yes. And they might point back to a story of when they were a child in VBS or church camp or, or whatever. They would say, yeah, I made a profession of faith. I, I know that I'll, I'll go to heaven when I die because of this decision or that decision. But, but let me ask you this. If I came in here today and I was late and I said, I'm sorry, I'm late. I got hit by a truck on the way here. And you're like, wait, you got hit by a truck like in your Jeep? I'm like, no, no, I was walking and I got hit by a Mack truck. And you'd be like, but you... I mean, you ain't pretty, but you don't look like you got hit by a Mack truck, Jordan, right? You would have some questions, right? Because if I got hit by a truck, there would be some evidence of such, wouldn't there? Right? 
You question that story. And so I'm not here to make you doubt your salvation, but I'm here to preach the word of God. And if you haven't seen fruit, if you haven't been transformed the way that Peter and James and Paul and the other 12 and the other 500, if you haven't been transformed in in a way that nothing else matters quite like it used to, because my hope is now in the resurrected Jesus, he's on the throne, that I'm no longer a pessimist, I'm no longer an optimist, Jesus has risen from the grave. If that hasn't changed you, then I need to ask you, did you really meet the resurrected Jesus? And if not, the good news is that he's here today. Right now, present, you can surrender to him. You can bring your doubts, bring your questions. He's not scared of what you've done. Paul was persecuting the church. Paul was murdering Christians. How dare you think you're beyond his grace? How dare you think that what you have done can't be redeemed by our Jesus? How dare you? Paul says, if anybody should have been left out of this deal, it's me. I wasn't just passively opposed to Jesus. I was aggressively opposed to Jesus to the point that I was killing his followers. And yet, he extended his grace. By his grace, Paul was saved. So it's time to quit hiding your junk. It's time to quit pretending that you got more time or that you'll get better. And, you know, when you get your life together, then you'll start, you know, coming to church or you'll start doing this. Or once you can kind of get rid of that sin and get over that habit, then you'll, no, 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 stop all of that and, and come face to face with the reality that Jesus conquered the grave. He stands today with his arms outstretched, nail holes still in his hand saying, hey, hey, none of that matters. My grace is bigger My grace is sufficient, and you need to come. You need to come. Your sins have got you separated from a living God. But I have made a way. Don't despise me. Don't scorn my my story. Again, Christianity is not about some self-help stuff. It's not about what you can do to make your life better. It It is the story. It is the proclamation of the good news of what Jesus has done. It's not about what you need to do. It's about what Jesus has done. And he conquered the grave and he came back to life, resurrected. Now we deal with, that will be the question that you're asked on the other side of eternity. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? And if you accept him, trust him as your Lord and Savior, the rest of it doesn't matter. But if you're here and you go, man, I don't know if I ever really met him. I don't know if my life has been changed by him. Then don't wait another day. Repeatedly, the Bible says, hey, today's the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. So we're going to have an open altar, and I'm going to invite you to come as we um, close by one final song. Let's pray, and let's all look to the resurrected Savior and invite him to confront us where we are this morning. God, Would you do that work, Jesus? Would you be powerfully present in a way that we can't deny? Father, for your glory, for our sake, we need you to be present. We need you to be here. We we trust that you're alive. We believe in your word, and we ask that you would now be present in, in, um, in the way of salvation, in the way of hope, in the way of healing. Father, we want to have a testimony of the living Jesus at work in our community. The way that, that when John had doubts, is are you really the, are you really the, the Messiah? You, you sent back to him, hey, the blind received their sight. Those who are in prison are set free. The good news is preached to the poor. Yes, the kingdom is here. Lord, we want the kingdom to be here. 
we want to experience no less than all that you have for us. So for those that don't know you, may you give them a a, a grace-filled confrontation today where they can come and meet you. For the rest of us, Lord, may we be encouraged and led to worship because you got out of the grave. Here's our hearts, Lord. Take them. Take them. We're your people. We ask it in your name.